Hello, and welcome to Coverage Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing I Am Legend. I Am Legend was written by Richard Matheson and published in 1954. And the film adaptation directed by Francis Lawrence came out in 2007. Yes. 2007. <laughs> um, so this was actually a request from a listener. Yes. Uh, Deanna Welsh. I knew her from high school before she got married, so I have to remember her last name sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to like pause before I say it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she's a big horror fan. I know she recommended Pet Cemetery before this. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm really excited to get to talk about this one because it's a very different, interesting adaptation. It is. Um, I think we should just mention and kind of hone in on the point that this was published in 1954. 1954. And guys, I know we said that we weren't going to do <laughs> any more sci-fi books from like the 1900s written by white dudes, but yeah. we did go back on that. <laughs> we, we immediately went back on that it statement. It seems like we can't avoid it. I know. It seems almost inevitable as if all books like this were written by white men. Yes. <laughs> for a long, long time. Many, many are. But this one might be a little different. It was not as bad. <laughs> um, what do you know? Because I mean, 1954 is really early. What, um, what, do you know what the earliest book we've talked about so far has been? Because this is probably a pretty um, close. Emma is probably. The oh, oldest. yeah. I, I forget about Emma. <laughs> that one was published in what? Like, I think 1790 something or early 1800s. OK, so that'll always probably have the <laughs> that, record. Yeah, but in terms of second oldest, this might be. Because I know One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, wasn't that like 63? Yeah, yeah. I think that was into the 60s and mm-hmm. Fahrenheit 451 was 70s even? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, this is going back quite a ways. It is. And it was an extremely, extremely influential book as well. Yeah. Uh, this was, this book is kind of, kind of the, the, the seed of so many different genres and tropes yeah. that we see now in science fiction it was kind of the beginning of the epidemic genre where some type the of pandemic pandemic mm-hmm. uh where some type of like plague wipes out most of civilization sometimes making monsters sometimes not yeah but it was kind of the start of that like lone survivor genre and it also kind of got the public into vampires again mm-hmm. um it's interesting i was reading about this author and then about all the other authors who were inspired by him. Um, and Anne Rice was actually inspired by him. Really? Who kind of like reinvented the vampire yeah. genre for modern audiences. And Richard Matheson also kind of reinvented the vampire um, as well. So to hear that connection, you know, made, made me laugh. And I was just like, can you imagine? Yeah. You know what I mean? All of this stemming from, from this and, you know, countless other films and um, book at, books and things like that as well. It was a huge influence on Stephen King, which mm-hmm. we got like hints of Stephen King reading this. Like there's a yeah. Pet Cemetery. There's some stuff that seems clearly Drawn. to have inspired Pet Cemetery. Yeah. As well as uh, George Romero specifically cited this story as kind of the origin of the zombie film. Yeah. With Night of the Living Dead. And there mm-hmm. are a ton of similarities uh, with this kind of 
crossover of like a vampire story, but like a larger widespread kind of disease. Monsters. And, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, this book was hugely influential on so many fronts. Uh, inspiring genres, authors, and filmmakers, and just everything you can imagine, almost. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about it. Yeah, let's let's get into it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is worth noting, though, that there are two other movie adaptations of this book. Yes, uh, the first one came out in the '60s, and it was called "The Last Man on Earth," and then there was another one in like the '70s or '80s with Charlton Heston uh, called "The Omega Man." The Omega Man <laughs> that apparently had like. They were all sentient, like, robed beings or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they were, like, albino uh, cult people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Part of me feels like we should have watched it. Also, part of me doesn't care that yeah, much. Yeah, I have a feeling that it was bad. <laughs> Probably. I have a hunch it might not have been the best movie ever. <laughs> but instead, we're talking about the Will Smith, I Am Legend, which was a more recent adaptation. And I think one many people are familiar with since it was, like, a huge blockbuster. Oh yeah, when it came out. Mm-hmm. But the book has a lot of differences that you might notice right off the bat as we start talking about it. Mm-hmm. Robert Neville is same name. That's one of the similarities. Yeah, and it ends about there. <laughs> <laughs> he is he lives in a suburb of L.A. In this story, mm-hmm. and it, when the book starts, it's about nine months into the vampire epidemic. I'll call it. Yeah, where. He is, as far as he knows at this point, the lone survivor, and he has kind of made his house into a bit of a fortress. Yeah. Where he has, like, every window boarded up, huge, like, locks and, like, bars across his door. Mm -hmm. He's burned down the houses on either side of his house to make sure the vampires can't jump from those homes onto his roof. Yeah. And he kind of just has this whole, at, at this point... A pretty well figured out system mm-hmm. for surviving. He has a generator to provide electricity to his house so he can power his stove and his refrigerator and his lights and all that stuff. He has stockpiled food, canned food and frozen food, and is just sort of doing the best he can to survive. It's interesting because in this book, vampires are named explicitly. It's yeah. not like, oh, a mysterious monster. It's like, no, they're, they're actual vampires. And in terms of uh, vampire lore, they pr- fall pretty closely on the standard for vampires. Yeah. Um, you know, their garlic repels them. A stake to the heart kills yeah. them. Uh, mirrors and the cross also repel them. Um, so pretty like basic stuff. They sleep during the day. And actually in this story... Um, they not only like sleep during the day, they kind of go into like a coma. Yeah. When yeah. they when they sleep. They're kind of like totally uh helpless and basically. vulnerable. Yes. And this kind of goes back to like the original book Dracula, because it was very similar where he would kind of go into this stasis, coma type thing, and that would be where he was vulnerable. Yeah. And we'll talk about it more later, but it, the it's really interesting how despite all these very classic setups of you know the cross repelling them and garlic and all Mm -hmm. that stuff that seems so mythical there is a lot of like kind of scientific explanation for a lot of it which is very interesting yeah and i think this author 
was one of the first to take something like this, something mythic, and then try to put like a scientific, rational twist on it to make it more kind of like not accessible, but make it seem like it could possibly happen and kind of think like, oh, how would this work if this was real? And we end up finding out, and we don't find out for a while what has caused this epidemic, but we end up finding out that it's actually like a bacteria. Mm -hmm. It's a germ in the air. And he finds out that in their area, they have a lot of sandstorms and dust storms. And he figures out that, like, the sand could cause, like, micro abrasions to the skin that the bacteria could get in through. Yeah. And that's, at least in the area that he lives in, part of what caused it to spread so wildly. Mm -hmm. But we get flashbacks through this story where he was married, he Mm -hmm. had a daughter, and... Early on, his wife was sick, and it kind of just seemed like there was this virus or something, some kind of illness that was spreading pretty widely throughout the neighborhood and where he worked and everything, and his wife had fallen ill, and their daughter was still not sick at this point, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of this, there's this unease to it, where his wife was becoming increasingly concerned that no one really knew what it was, Mm -hmm. so. And we obviously know in the present that, like, he lives alone, so we're guessing (laughs) that they die at some point, and, like, throughout the flashbacks, we do find out that first his daughter dies of the plague, and then at this point, when she dies, um, society is worried about contamination, so they're burning all the bodies, and that's kind of the only way they know to keep the contagion from spreading, But then his wife dies a short time later, and he can't bear the thought of burning his wife on this burn pile. Yeah. So he, like, kind of goes to bury her illegally somewhere. But, of course, he doesn't quite realize that with this plague, what happens when you have the plague is that you die, and then you come back to life. Yeah. And part of this, part of the setup of what exactly was going on was a little confusing for me. In terms of, okay, do you die and then turn? Can you turn? It took me a long time you to die? figure out. And this is like, it's revealed very slowly throughout mm-hmm. the book. And at this point, he, like, I wasn't sure. Was it, was he aware that some people were coming back to life or anything like that? It wasn't super clear. But then again, I was okay with that because I think in a situation like this, a lot of it would be unclear. Yeah. You know what I mean? There probably wouldn't be a lot of actual structure and information that was known and being communicated. Mm-hmm. It's probably just kind of like finding it out. And as society collapses, less and less information is available to you. Mm-hmm. And then you can't just go out and ask your nearest plague victim, like, so what are you like? What are you feeling? <laughs> Do you like want to eat my flesh or drink my blood? Like, what's the deal? Um, we basically figure out, though, that there are two different types of vampires in this world. They're the living vampires and then there are the, there are the dead ones. And this is kind of, I think, where some of that zombie lore Mm -hmm. comes in because it's almost like there's the vampires and then there's the zombies, which is interesting to me. Yeah, this was very, this was probably the most confusing aspect to the story because I never really quite got a grasp on understanding what the difference was between the living vampires and the dead ones. Yeah. For a while, I thought, okay, there's just... If you see a vampire walking around, it could be one or the other. Mm-hmm. Like some are technically dead and some are like technically still alive. Then at another point, I thought, are the living ones, quote unquote, the ones he's finding? Like, are they just comatose in bed? Yeah. Are those the ones he's classifying as living? And the ones that are up at night are the ones that have died and have been reanimated? 
I, I was very uncertain. The distinctions are not super clear in terms of like what they physically look like. Yeah. I think the dead ones do seem more actually dead though. And that's where I think the zombie element comes mm-hmm. in because their body is dying. It's something to do with the germ that basically it seems like when people have the plague, it like turns them into a vampire for a while. And then after a certain portion of time, they eventually die. Yeah. And then they come back and they're the dead ones. But I wasn't sure, like, if you got sick, would you, were you instantly one of the living vampires? Mm-hmm. Or did that take some time for you to become one? Because w- yeah. with his wife, like, she wasn't she, running around yeah. trying to eat. But maybe it was, like, as the disease mutated. Maybe. Maybe when it started out, everyone was, like, the dead ones. And then it kind of... I don't know. Yeah, because his wife died immediately from the illness yeah. and then came back as a vampire. Yeah. So I just assumed the illness always killed you and then you came back. And then I, th- that's why I was like, well, then what are the living ones? Yeah. So, yeah, we, we were both kind of on the same page of being mm-hmm. a little confused by this element of the story. Yeah. I like the concept. I wish it was explained more. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it could have worked for sure. I just think it needed a little bit more explanation and maybe the explanation was in the um because later on he talks a lot about like the blood and the amoebas and like a lot of scientific rationale and maybe the rationale was where that answer was but Mm -hmm. i just didn't understand it or pick up on it i'm not sure it could be that we're missing something i mean i'm willing to admit i'm stupid (laughs) babe (laughs) and totally did not understand you are not dumb (laughs) but we definitely could have missed something so if you have thoughts on this please let us know um it's a really interesting concept like i said i wish it was explained more in the book because i do like the idea of it but i think this is where we get like those influences that you know george romero Anne rice you know all of these authors where they draw from both this vampire part but also kind of this zombie yeah reanimated corpse thing too yeah and like we said earlier there's a scene where when he buries his wife and she comes back it reminded us so much of pet cemetery yes and we have an episode on that if you want to go back and listen to it but it (laughs) (laughs) it was just uncanny i read it and i was like oh this is pet cemetery for sure absolutely uh but yeah so at this point, Robert Neville is just, he's not a scientist in this story. He's just kind of a dude who happened to be immune to the illness. Yeah. So he's just trying to, like, survive, essentially. Mm-hmm. And he has his daily routines of clearing out the dead bodies in front of his house because the vampires will stand outside of his house, like, all night. Every night. And his his neighbor. <laughs> his neighbor, Ben Cortman. Ben, good old Ben Cortman, who just stands outside his house and they, they talk, too. Uh, at least the living ones, I at think. At least Ben Cortman talks. Yeah. We don't get anyone else talking. They just, like, moan and scream. Yeah. Ben Cortman is the only one <laughs> who's like, can I borrow your weed whacker? <laughs> no, no, he's like, come out, Neville. <laughs> That's all he shouts. Yeah. But it's enough to kind of, like, partially drive Robert insane at nights because he just, like, has to hear these bloodthirsty vampires scream outside of his house. Yeah. And he strings garlic up around to keep them away. Mm-hmm. But it's not enough to, like, drive them away completely. Yeah, they still hang out and try to make him crazy. They just chill on the front lawn, <laughs> you know. But when Neville doesn't come out, they oftentimes attack one of their own and will drink their blood. Yeah. So then he has to, like, sweep the bodies away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so his routine is basically, like, fix the boards around his house, fortify it, 
um, picks some more garlic to string around the house. Yeah. He like keeps garlic. Does he grow it? Yeah. Okay. He talks about like a hot house that he has. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I totally he forgot. grows it. And then kind of like forges for supplies and et cetera. Takes care of his car, all that good stuff. Yeah. So that's, that's the setup. That's, that's what the book, the book is like. Yeah. Now let's talk about the movie. Cause there are definite crossovers, but a lot of differences. Oh Yeah. For one thing, we learn immediately in the movie, like, what caused the plague, Mm -hmm. how it happened, and, like, what is going on, basically. Spoiler alert, it was man trying to play God. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) A classic, classic piece in these type of dystopian universes. When will we learn? (laughs) Yes. Um, So... Emma Thompson is a sexy scientist from England for for two minutes (laughs) who develops a cure for cancer, which is basically genetically modifying the smallpox or measles. I'm sorry. Measles. Measles, which is ironic because people are getting measles now because people aren't vaccinating their children. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) um, they adjust a measles virus to attack cancer instead. And, Turns out it cures cancer, but it turns you into a mutant. Because that's, those are that's what would happen. interconnected things. <laughs> like measles, you know, like you get like this horrible reaction. You could die. It's like this virus. And then you get these albino, like. Creepy. Creepy. You suddenly become a CGI person. Yeah. You lose all your hair. You go right into the uncanny valley. Yeah. You're like breathing really fast for some reason that's not explained. Also, you are inevitably between like 20 and 40 years old. Uh, (laughs) Always white, I think. Or maybe they're just all albino. Maybe. Yeah. But it's like it just makes me laugh because like. In those situations, there's never any, like, old ones. There's never any young ones. There's never any, like, of, like, a heavier body type. I mean, maybe that burns off or something. They probably ate the old ones. Maybe. Or the (laughs) old ones just can't survive it. Yeah. There's probably explanations. But it's always funny that they just skip that completely all the time. And they're like, yeah, they're all, you know. They're they're all all like this. Yeah. You can tell that this movie draws from 28 Days Later. Mm, yeah oh yeah a lot of ways for sure i thought that when we get early on right at the beginning yeah we get these shots of an abandoned new york city exactly and will smith zooming around zoom zoom in his super cool sports car (laughs) doing what else but sports car deer hunting yes in urban as you do new york city (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which, what was he accomplishing? Because, like, for the longest time, he was just chasing those deer with his car. Yeah, he, I guess he was trying to shoot one, but we never actually see him catch one. So, like, have you ever caught one? Yeah. We don't know. It's just like, vroom, 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 <laughs> driving all around. It makes him happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, this abandoned New York City is very cool, but it does remind me of 28 Days Later. Absolutely. Which came out, like, four, five years before that. With the yeah, I guess that would be abandoned it. London, yeah. and then also with the creatures being um, fast. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and there, you know, twenty eight days later was they're both kind of plays off zombies. I, I'd say in this movie they're kind of zombie vampire hybrids. Yeah, but in a similar way, twenty eight days later they weren't specifically zombies; they were different. Yeah, so yeah, that's definitely a similarity as well. And then the humans creating. 
the virus. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so we find out that the humans created the virus and then everybody got sick and either turned into one of these crazy things or just died mm-hmm. or was eaten. We, we get like a breakdown from Will Smith at a later point in the movie about like uh, like 80% of people died and then 15% of people turned into mutants and then like the remaining 5% just got eaten by mutants. Yeah. And he's like, there's no one alive. God is dead. <laughs> <laughs> I am God. I am God now. <laughs> yeah. He so he is in New York City, obviously, instead of L.A. And he is also an important scientist instead of just like a random dude. Yeah. And this was like immediately weird and raised a lot of questions because he get, he talks about, oh, I'm immune. Yeah. Uh, to this virus. And you're like, is that because you worked on it? Like you like at one point, because I'd forgotten about a lot about this movie. I was like, did they like somehow base part of this uh uh, virus on his DNA mm. or something. Maybe that's why he's immune or something. But no, it's just kind of a coincidence that he's like. I know it's a pretty big coincidence. One of the top scientists and also immune. also immune, and also he's super jacked and was like, I've been ready for this my whole life. <laughs> he has steel shutters already on his door, and his yeah. wife is like, he's got grenades. Yeah. he's got intense bombs ready to go off to protect his house. Yeah, maybe he was like a. Uh, what, like, end of days survivalist, like, the, way before this ever happened? Well, apparently in the Omega Man, he's also a scientist. And there's just, he, like, finds the one cure, like, the one cure for it and just injects himself with it at the beginning of the movie. Oh. And that's why he's immune, because he, like, gave himself the only vaccine. <laughs> <laughs> and then is, like, trying to, like, redo it. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> So maybe they're kind of he was like in a that. crowd of people and he's like, I found it. The one cure. And they're like, woo. And then they turn and he's already like injecting it into his leg. He's like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was another thing, too. I was like, maybe he found maybe he discovered a um, uh, like an immunity to it. Not like a cure, but maybe yeah. he found out how to immune himself to it. That was another thought. Like before you get it. Yeah. But. That wasn't right either. No, he's just immune. <laughs> he's just immune because he's Will Smith and he's great. Yes. Uh, he so we get some flashbacks about what happened and we already kind of know like how the virus happened. But we get to see like New York panicking and him trying to get his wife and daughter like out of the city because the whole city is contaminated. And of course, they end up dying. It's very sad. <laughs> it was such a weird choice he gets them to uh the docks where like people are being like they're they're scanning people's irises to see if they have the disease even if it's not an effect and they're like quarantining them and other people are taking helicopters across the river because they're gonna blow up the bridges yeah and they almost for some reason like misdiagnose his wife yeah and i don't know why but then it's fine but (laughs) maybe she should have been diagnosed that way because she might have not died. Yeah. But they put her and his daughter on a helicopter to go across the river. And then it just crashes with another helicopter. Yeah. That's it's <laughs> and that's just, how they die. It's just this like weird circumstantial thing that yeah. happens. So kind of an odd, strange, not as choice. dramatic as burying your wife and then having her come back no <laughs> and try to kill that. you <laughs> yeah i want that yeah <laughs> exactly so 
Yeah, I guess there's not a whole lot to talk about in that scene. It just kind of gives you a, a sense of the building, like, doom. Also, his his daughter's like, oh, there's a butterfly daddy, and that has importance later for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about the CGI? Yeah, it's probably the time to talk about it. And I it. mean, I think we should put this in the context that this was 2007. It was 2007. So it's the peak of the bad CGI era. <laughs> was... Although, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess they just like, it's not that it was bad CGI in that era, but they just overshot. Over, yeah, it's like excessive use of CGI. Yeah. And I read that they originally tried doing people in makeup, uh, but then they just thought they just looked weird. Like weird bald mimes. I think they described them as <laughs> like. <laughs> uh, I feel like that would give me nightmares. Oh, yeah. Just. A plague that turns everyone into a silent mime. Yeah. And they mime at you all day. They don't even kill you. They just like put walls in front of you. <laughs> I feel like these CGI monsters are like kind of like albino mole babies without any fur that are just like chomping. I don't know. <laughs> There's weird parts where like, especially with Alpha, like the one character we see, the one mutant like yeah. leader kind of that we see recurring. When he yells, it looks like he doesn't have any teeth. Yeah. And I was like, oh, do they not have teeth? But then later I'm like, no, they definitely have teeth. <laughs> like, it's just weird. He just has this really big, like, toothless mouth when he yells. Yeah. Yeah. I Like we said, it's not the worst. It's not. There's also scenes of, like, CGI antelope and lions that are, like, fine. Yeah. And most of the... I think the CGI, when it where it's used the most effectively is just to like make New York City abandoned. That's what I was going to say too. Yeah, yeah. Those are actually pretty decent effects and shots. And they actually did close down a lot of New York City for really? a lot of the production of this film, <laughs> which seems excessive. Yeah. But they they did do a lot of it practically when they could. Yeah. I found out. So mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> is that is that the movie? Is that the setup of the movie? Yes. Did we cover it all? We did. Should we jump back to the book? Yes. And oh God. Oh, God. Talk about. Well, should we just what should we talk about first? Uh, should we talk about Robert's uh, alcoholism? Yeah, that seems like a good place. Yeah. Let's save the dog for after that. <laughs> so, I mean, I think this is a pretty realistic portrayal of like what would happen to someone after like a year of like yes. never speaking to anyone. And remember in the book, it's been about a year since the plague happened. So he's been on his own for this amount of time. And he kind of goes through phases where he'll have a couple days where he's super productive. He's like, you know, fixing up his house. He's foraging for food. He's like kind of doing things. And then he'll have days where he just spends it drinking. Yeah. And just has completely lost hope is just kind of like wallowing in his own pity. And I mean, like he has a reason to. Oh, yeah. And like bordering on suicidal at times where he gets really angry and starts like throwing shit in his house and like destroying stuff and then almost like going outside and on occasion actually going outside and trying yeah. to like punch some vamps. He's like, <laughs> I just need to take out my anger. Yeah. Um, and he always like makes it back inside before he is ripped to shreds. But um, very self-destructive. For sure. And I, I, yeah, I just thought this was, I, I thought this was some of the most compelling stuff in the story. I really loved how much it ebbed and flowed yeah. from him, like doing things and feeling good about himself to him. Just like something would happen 
and he would just like start drinking and then would just kind of like binge for like two days yeah. being drunk. And he talks a lot about why am I even doing this? Why am I even trying to live? Yeah. And at parts, he's just like, I'm just a stupid animal who can't like end himself. Yeah. He's just like, I can't do it because mm-hmm. I'm dumb. And it's like my brain's programming to just survive. Yeah. And I really liked that because I don't know, there's a lot of stories about survival and kind of especially like post-apocalyptic kind of survival and stuff. But I really loved his inner monologues, especially. Yeah. Where at one point, and it's funny too, in a lot of ways, he's like flossing because he's like, I I can't go to a dentist, so I have to take care of my teeth. He's like, I have to take care of my body. And then in his head, he's like, is that why you like are drinking yourself to death? And then he's just like, shut up. (laughs) There's just the way it's written. There's a lot of funny inner dialogue in his head that is like sad but also a funny kind of back and forth with himself Mm -hmm. to go to a even worse aspect than alcoholism um this is the portion of the book that i had problems with yeah and that was when he talks about his sexual frustration so yeah okay last person on earth probably um he has no one to bang I get it. Yeah. But he's like constantly fantasizing slash talking about the vampire women and like wanting to get with them. And I guess like they try to act all sexy for him outside to tempt him to go outside so they can eat him. Yeah. And he's like, oh, man, every time I look at them, I feel like a sexual desire that I almost can't control myself and I almost like go out there because I can't handle it. And he's just like so out overpowered by this. Like, yeah, it's so huge. It's not just like, oh man, I wish I could bang. It's like, oh, I'm like already almost out the door because my dick is pulling me out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, uh, it's kind of one of those things where I know I, I'm a little mixed on this. On one hand, I kind of just see this as being a larger representation of just like his general loneliness. And I can see And his that. like need for like human connection and kind of just like craving that like in almost any form he can. And I realize that like masturbation isn't a like a, a substitute for that necessarily. But also, is he? Is and, he masturbating? We and don't it, know. Because like this book talks about pretty much everything pretty bluntly. Yeah. And I get it was like the 1950s. So maybe that was still too taboo. I don't know. Yeah. But it's like he talks about everything else. He probably if he was doing this, it probably should have been discussed. Yeah. Like just jerk off, man. Just <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, I don't think that's like a total substitute for like the crippling loneliness he's probably feeling. Exactly. But I agree that like the idea that he's almost pulled into just going outside for these like sexy vampire ladies who are trying to like tempt him is a little over the top. It is. And we also get some troubling notions that he's possibly contemplating having sex with like a comatose vampire. Mm -hmm. Cause he talks about like whenever he goes to like kill them when they're in their sleep that he kind of like is sometimes tempted by the women. And also he does, he starts to do like experiments on them. Um, and he like only experiments on women. And he's like, why do why do I do that? Better not think about it. Yeah. So I just felt like the whole time there's this undercurrent of rape that's kind of under the surface that yeah. he doesn't really want to admit to himself, but it's hinted at. And I, I don't know. I kind of am like, 
okay, I see that you're recognizing it, but you're not like having him actually do that. So that's good. But also like people don't have sex for long periods of time and they don't think about raping other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I agree. I'm also like, it's stuff that like, oh, uh, like you read about it and it's like kind of cringy. Yeah. But also the book never plays it off as being like, oh, well, of course he would do this or he never no. thinks that he's always like, oh, God, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, stop thinking that. Yeah. And he kind of like realizes he does most of these experiments on women and like acknowledges that. But also, like you said, doesn't think about it. And it's tough because, you know, the book doesn't. Uh, condone anything really or like uh, make it out to be okay necessarily yeah and I think what goes a long way for this book is really depicting his emotional and mental state very well yeah so I think you know if you're the last man literally on earth and you're extremely like lonely and like in a terrible situation you're probably going to have thoughts that aren't like ethically or morally good. Yeah. Um, Whether it addresses those as appropriately as it should is certainly debatable. And I mean, this is the 1950s and he doesn't rape anyone. Yeah. Um, He doesn't even really have a debate where he like actively considers it. It's no. more just like hinted at. Um, So I will give the book credit for that. Yeah. Especially because... The 1950s, like, there have been so many other books in this, like, sci-fi genre in terms of how it deals with women and stuff that are just, like, appalling. So, I mean, yeah, some credit there, I think, for sure that, you know, nothing in this book really made me, like, want to put it away. You weren't ever like, oh, Ugh, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's kind of our, I guess, our discussion on on this topic of his... Not always great. His why don't you points. just masturbate just dilemma. Masturbate, man. <laughs> just do it. Just do it, man. <laughs> We've all been there. Maybe not there there, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, so just just switch topics a little bit. At this time, he's beginning to do research on what caused the plague, because in the book, you don't know what caused it, and he doesn't know, and he has no idea. If there's a cure, if he could possibly cure it. Remember, he's also like not a scientist. Yeah. And one of my favorite parts in this book was that he keeps having to go to the library <laughs> to like find out information. He's like, yeah. let me just get all these books and like read about it so I can know how to use like a fucking microscope. And I'm like, good. I also don't know how to use one. Like I would need to read a book about that. Although he does make an annoying comment about a maiden librarian that yeah, I did that not was, agree with. I knew you were going to be. I was upset about it. He was like, can you imagine that chaste, maiden, virgin, unmarried, sad librarian <laughs> woman who is pushing in chairs and never has known the never, touch of a man? Never felt the touch of a man. Yeah, I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that poor, sad librarian woman. Not all librarians. I know, right? <laughs> oh, something I, I really did love, though, was how in his research, he went back and forth so much about like 
he'd read something and like he'd have a theory and he'd be like, oh, this explains this and that. Like, yes, I'm onto something. And then two minutes later, he's like, oh, wait, there's so many holes in this. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm such an idiot. I'm so stupid. Oh, my God. Drink more whiskey. <laughs> and then he'd go back and be like, no, no, no. Like, keep working at it. He's like, yeah, no, this makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, no. Oh, God, I'm so dumb. I'm so <laughs> fucking stupid. Whiskey. <laughs> I'm like, we have all been there doing anything. Yeah. Where we're just like, yeah, I'm awesome. I'm the man. And then two minutes later, we're like, what am I doing? <laughs> but I really loved those parts. He just felt so human. Yeah. And he does eventually start to figure things out. Uh, he also meets a dog oh that God. is not infected. And he spends a lot of time in many pages, which I don't know if this was actually necessary yeah. <laughs> for this many pages trying to befriend the dog gain the dog's trust and lure the dog to live with him so he could love it yeah and then the dog dies and then it because it was like it got infected and it, it passed away yeah. this was i don't know i i get why you would i get why you, how you would feel if it's too long and yeah. i totally get that but i don't know this whole part was just so it embodied his loneliness so well it and did. it showed that he was like genuinely like a caring person which i really liked yeah. like he really just wanted to like take care of this dog and like have it in his life so he could like love it and be with it and it was like really sad and it shows that i i really do like uh robert as a character in this story i do too because even in the flashbacks like with his wife and stuff yeah. he's like very caring and attentive towards her yeah and he's not just like where are my eggs <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> when she's sick he's like i can make eggs today <laughs> <laughs> today one day out of the year <laughs> but you know he's there's so many i don't know bad toxic male tropes especially for stories written in this time and yeah, in this genre, in the sci-fi genre yeah that for him to be just like a caring genuine person in a lot of ways which is very refreshing and i enjoyed that a lot it was and it was very sad because he really did want the dog and then the dog dies i think this tops the dog part in the movie to be perfect like in sadness um, they might be equal they might be yeah. i was personally i think sadder about the dog in the book yeah <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of uh the movie yes let's switch back to the movie now yes so robert robert neville he is Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> or is he? It seems to flip pretty quickly. Yeah. And I mean, in the movie, it's been three years instead of just like one. True. Um, so he's had lo a lot longer to go crazy. But he has a dog. So I feel Sam. like he should be less crazy because he has a dog. Well, yeah. And to me, I get the I get the dog companion part of the movie. It's like have someone have something for him to talk to, have something for him to interact with and care about. I get that, too. I, I do totally understand it. But I do think it undercuts the loneliness a little bit. Yeah. You know, because like that is such a big part of the story. And part of you is kind of like, if I had a dog like that, I'd be pretty OK. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need that many people. And like, he treats the dog like his child. Yeah. Like when he talks to it, he's like, make sure you eat your vegetables and like. <laughs> Gives her a bath and like all of this yeah. stuff. And you can tell that he has replaced human connection with this dog, which is great. You know, it's I'm glad that he has yeah. someone. But I feel like he acts weirder in the movie, not maybe as unstable in mm -hmm. as in the book, but like just odd. Yeah, because for me, 
his behavior towards the dog borders on weird sometimes the way he talks to her. Yeah. And it's like, that's like the perfect amount for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of funny, but it's also a little unsettling. Mm -hmm. But then at one point, he just goes to this store that he has keys to and unlocks it. And there's a mannequin outside. And he's like, what up, Fred? And yeah. he like walks in. And he talks to all the mannequins. And I'm like, whoa, you got <laughs> real crazy. Cause like, like in a second. Yeah, because for the most part, he's like, he's a scientist. He's like exercising. He's got all these like routines and everything. And then just one minute, he's just talking to mannequins and is just like, this yeah. is normal. <laughs> and there's one mannequin that he wants to fuck. Yeah. Like definitely. What's worse, Adina? <laughs> Let me ask you this. I was thinking about this. What's worse, wanting to fuck a vampire or wanting to fuck a mannequin? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, plenty of people do fuck mannequins now. That's true. I don't think it's right. Yeah, well, but, but like, also it doesn't hurt anyone. It doesn't anyone. hurt anyone and you do you, I guess. Uh-huh. Okay. So I, guess, <laughs> I guess the mannequin banging isn't as bad maybe as the book vampire yeah. lust. I feel but, like banging a mannequin is more indicative of actually being alone and like maybe what would happen <laughs> than like wanting to bang a vampire. <laughs> Possibly. It's it's hard to say. But <laughs> yeah, so Robert Neville's mental state at this point is kind of very unclear yeah. in a lot of ways. But it doesn't stop him from being a scientist. Yes. He has a whole lab in his basement. He does experiments on rats to try to find a cure for the virus. And he uses his blood to kind of try to figure something out because he's immune. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we get to like the middle part of the story, he captures a female dark seeker, dark whatever seeker. the fuck they are, um, and is trying to experiment on her because he thinks he might have like... A cure that might work. Yeah. And he attempts the cure on her and it doesn't take. And he, he brings her back to life with like a, I'm guessing like an adrenaline shot or yeah. something. But, you know, it's another failed experiment. So he's clearly kind of reaching the end of his rope in terms of trying to figure out a cure for this. Yeah. And trying to cure the, the dark seekers. Yes. Which, by the way, they weren't called this yet at this point in the movie. But... <laughs> It's what they are inevitably called. Well, also, Robert wasn't called anything. So the whole time I was taking notes, I was like, Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So what happens next? So actually, it's interesting because so he sets a trap. The way he captures the zombie thing is that he sets a trap and he has like a car acting like as a weight yeah. to capture it. And then the next day or a few days later, he is sort of out and about doing his thing and he sees one of the mannequins like in a spot where it wasn't before. Yeah. And he's like really freaked out. Like he starts starts shooting up the whole area. Yeah. <laughs> like he's crazy. But then he like approaches the mannequin and ends up caught in a snare, in a trap, almost exactly like the one he set for the Dark Seeker. Yes. So clearly the implication is, I think like the reason he's shooting at the windows is because the mannequin being there implies someone put it there. Yeah. And his first inclination is like, is this the dark seekers? And he's like, are they watching me right now? Yeah. But yeah, I couldn't tell <laughs> watching this movie. I couldn't tell how funny it was supposed to be. I don't know. Because at one point, like he's yelling at the mannequin. And, and at first it's like, what are you doing out here, Fred? Yeah. And it's kind of like creepy, but kind of funny. And then I, 
I, I don't know. Just the whole time I'm like, am I supposed to be laughing at this part? I can't yeah. quite tell. But yeah, so he gets caught in this snare that's exactly like his. Mm-hmm. And blacks out. Blacks out. When he comes to, it's almost nighttime. Yeah. And his dog, his loyal dog, uh. is still with him. So he cuts himself down. Uh, his own knife goes right into his leg, as it does. Yes. And... Then the Dark Seekers are there. And also, Dark Seekers have uh, hound dogs. Yes. Or, like, attack dogs <laughs> that are also vampires. Which is actually also in the book. Yeah. It seems like a really lame, like, ooh, what if there were vampire dogs? <laughs> like, it does seem yeah. lame. But it is kind of... It, kinda, it is in the book. It yeah. is in the book, and it is... Uh, established beforehand in the movie, like subtly in news clippings. Mm-hmm. So it, it it set it up, I guess. But there's this really great scene. Now, I really enjoyed this yeah. setup where uh, the setting sun, there's only like a line of sunlight across the street. Yeah. And the dogs have been let loose, but they stop at this line of sunlight because they mm-hmm. don't want to cross it. And they're like snarling and like all rabid and crazy. And... Neville is still like only halfway to his car at this point yeah, trying to get he's back. like struggling. Yeah. And the the setting sun is the, that that line Slither, of that line of sunlight is just getting smaller and smaller until it finally disappears and they take off. But I just thought that was a fun, cool, exciting setup. Oh yeah. For that scene especially. Visual, yeah. Yeah. So But the, then Sam gets attacked. The dog's attacked. And she defends him, of course, but she gets bitten. And then you know, Robert gets away. He takes her back to his lab. Which he somehow gets back to in time yeah, before Yeah, we just see night. him back in his lab. We don't get, like, any. Yeah. Um, And apparently he might give her something that's a vaccine. We just see him inject yeah. her with something. It's not made clear to us what it is. And then he's, like, cuddling with her and singing to her. And then he can tell that she's, like, turning into... One of them. So he chokes her to death. So he strangles her. I'm like, dude, have like a lethal injection ready. Like, at least let her go peacefully. Yeah. It was very... I I read this was like on a top 100 list of like saddest movie scenes of all time. Yeah. And I can believe it. It's pretty... It's pretty sad. It's pretty grueling to watch Will Smith... (laughs) Strangle a dog. Choke a dog to death. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to go back to that. That injection thing was like very annoying because... You know, that cure didn't work on the human. Yeah. But it did work on a rat. So one would think that it would possibly work on a dog and he would at least try it. Yeah. Uh, And if it was that cure, it should have been more attention should have been drawn to it because like it was so subtle. We just see him inject her with something and we don't know what. And we saw earlier that the the cure he tries is like purple. It's like a purple liquid that's very obvious. So just make it that obvious purple liquid. Otherwise, what is it? What are you doing? It clearly didn't kill her. What's happening? I don't know. So, (laughs) biggest problem with that scene. All right, let's go back to the book and let's wrap it up. The book. First off, I just want to say real quick that the way this book is written is... Honestly, to me, kind of unbelievable. Yeah. How contemporary it feels mm-hmm. for being written in the 1950s. In 1954. Yeah. It is crazy because, I mean, not only is it written in a way that feels just like very modern, but like there's not even, there is one thing in the story to me that is like outdated. And it's when like 
he doesn't wind his watch yeah. for the day. Mm-hmm. And he's like, why didn't I wind my watch? Because then he almost dies. But like that was the only thing. There's nothing else that's like really outdated technology no. or anything. Mm-mm. Or it's just it was almost written in a way that was like purposefully vague enough about aspects to not date it. Yeah. And I mean, the, the technology he does use is pretty basic and standard, like, um, a generator, a generator, and then a microscope. And, yeah. you know, he has a car and it doesn't go super into specifics on those things. No. So yeah, I liked that it was that translatable, you know yeah. what I mean? To now, like it did feel very current. And I mean, even a watch that you wind up would make sense for that time because like, you don't want to have to get watch batteries and you need a watch like yeah. that way you always have it ticking. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like, honestly, the story still could take place in like if that the vampire apocalypse happened today. Yeah. Like that book verbatim could almost be released today mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be like contradictory to the time at all. Yeah. So just crazy impressive in my mind mm-hmm. how readable it was. Yeah. Especially because these sci fi like dystopian Futures can seem very dated almost as yeah. soon as they're written, you know? Yeah. Um, so in the story, we get a time jump where it's like two years later. Mm-hmm. And this is like directly after the dog dies. And he kind of takes the dog dying as a sign that he needs to like stop with the craziness. He's basically like, I'm going to stop with the wild excesses of emotion. Like, I'm not going to hope for anything anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to, like, despair anymore. I'm just going to, like, be super chill and, <laughs> like, do what I have to do to survive. But I'm not like going to let myself feel a lot anymore. No. So time has passed. He's kind of a little more grizzled, kind of just, like, a little more world-weary in a way. Yeah. And just... Uh, kind of just continuing to live, yeah. essentially. Mm-hmm. And we find out later he has continued his research on uh, the, the germs that created the vampires and everything. Yeah. But to what end, it kind of doesn't seem clear. Like, it just almost seems like a hobby as much yeah. as anything at this point. And he's a lot better at killing them now, too. Like, yeah. he goes around during the daytime and, like, just kills them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he's very efficient at it Yeah, now. yeah. So... It's around this time he's just sitting on a porch, smoking his pipe, when he looks out across a field and sees a woman. In the day. In the day, just walking around. Yeah. And he just can't believe it after three years that he's seeing another human being in the daylight who is human Mm -hmm. and a woman also. So he yells at her and she starts running away. So he chases her down. He's like, I know what to do. (laughs) I'm going to run her down like a deer. (laughs) And this is all part where, like, once again, I think the book did itself a service by establishing his mental state so well. Because at this point, putting yourself in his position, you know, even though obviously you can't condone him chasing down a woman. Yeah. And, like, physically, like... Restraining her. Restraining her and basically abducting her. Yeah. You are at least able to think, like... I mean, if I was three years into like un- unwanted solitude and I saw another human being, I might do the same. Yeah. Like, I don't know what I would do mm-hmm. at the sight of another person if they started running away from me. Like I might very well do the same thing. Yeah. And also he doesn't try to like get with her. Really. No. Like he does kind of think about the fact that she's a woman. He's like, oh, we could like be together. But he's also sort of like, 
I don't know, like, this is so weird. <laughs> um, so he does take her back to his house and is basically forces her to, like, stay with him because she wants to leave. But he's like, I just need to know what's happening. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so she eventually, like, kind of calms down a little bit and kind of agrees to stay at least for a short time. So but he's also very suspicious of her because he's he's like, she may have woken up from a coma. Yeah. He's like, I don't know if she's infected. I'm not really sure what's going on. Mm -hmm. He like shoves some garlic in her face and she like starts throwing up. So he's like, ah, she's a vampire. (laughs) And she's like, I have a really weak stomach and that smells awful. And he's yeah. like, maybe she's not a vampire. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I do like that, that he'll act away and then be like, oh God, I'm being like kind of crazy right now. Yeah. Or, or like he, or she'll call him out too. Yeah. Where when she realizes that he's suspicious of her and she's like, why do you think I was like scared? Like I saw this like, Six foot two man with a chasing cr- crazy me. beard. Yeah. Chasing me across a field and then drags me home. And then he shoves garlic in my face. And I'm like, haven't eaten anything. And I'm sick to my stomach. Like, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, hmm. that <laughs> makes like, sense. Maybe, but hmm. maybe you're a vampire. Yeah. They go through this like whole song and dance where like they're talking and he's asking her questions. Like, how have you survived this long? Like, what have you done for food? Like, how do you kill the vampire? Like all this stuff. And she's also kind of asking him questions like, Oh, you've done research on it. How do you like, what's going on? Like, what's the cause? It both, it seems like both of them are trying to figure out the other one. Yeah. Um, and spoiler, uh, she's a vampire. (laughs) (laughs) We find out when he tries to look at her blood and she clubs him over the head. Yeah. And when he comes to, there's a note from her. Yeah. A very, um, how do I want to put it? Conveniently expositional note (laughs) about a lot of what's going on. And this changes so much in this story. Her note is basically like, yes, I'm infected, but I'm a part of this like society now where we're all infected, but we are able to control the disease and we take these pills that like keep our germs like satiated with blood but also like keep it under control so we don't get like killed by the virus and we're forming a new society and i was sent to spy on you yeah a lot of like whoa you're like like, wait what a new society like a lot of info and part of this is interesting part of it feels like it needed to be backed up a little bit more yeah because Basically, the only vampire we've ever heard talk is Ben Cortman, mm-hmm. uh, the vampiric Ned Flanders, <laughs> as I like to think of him. <laughs> and so it's like it's not clear to what extent uh, a lot of these vampires are sentient, if they talk, what's yeah. going on. What's their level of intelligence? Yeah. And I get that, like, he only hunts them during the day when they're in comas. So, like, a lot of the times he doesn't get that information. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there kind of needed to be maybe a little more set up that they were sentient on the other hand though it is brought up a couple times like is what he's doing like the right thing yeah like and and um ruth brings up that question as well she's like have you ever thought that like maybe just murdering these creatures in their sleep isn't like a good isn't thing isn't really like a good vibe to go for <laughs> and he's like hmm never really thought about that now he's they like, mention I murder that. a lot of them hmm, maybe <laughs> and you find out too that he murdered her husband yeah, which is like, who? 
how was her husband? Yeah, were they like married before they became vampires or did they get married after they became vampires? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, not super well explained. Lots of like, questions here. Too, too many questions, to be perfectly Which honest. Also, she's like, hey... I kind of like felt sorry for you slash fell in love with you in the time that we were together in the day that we were together. Yeah. Um. So I just want to tell you that you better like get out now because this new society is forming and pretty soon we'll be strong and we're going to come and kill you. <laughs> it's like, what? Huh? Yeah. It was uh kind of a, a shocking note. There was a lot to unpack with that <laughs> a note. A shocking note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I could have bought that she if she was like, Listen, I felt really bad and I understand partly where you're coming from. So yeah. like, let me warn you. But she was also like, I kind of love you now. And I'm, I'm like, like mm, <laughs> I don't think so. But so he reads the note, but then is like, I'm not going to leave. And then it's sometime later where this new society comes for him. Yeah. And there's a standoff where they kill like all these vampires outside. They kill Ben Cortman. And Aww, Neville ben is Cortman. sad about it. He He's is. like my friend. <laughs> where we he yells at me every night. <laughs> it was kind of sad though. It was. And they end up actually shooting him yeah. in the standoff. So Robert is shot. And then when he wakes up, he's in this fortress or whatever stronghold this new society has. Yeah, and essentially Ruth comes back and gives him the lowdown like, hey, this is the new society. You're going to fucking die. We have to kill you. Because we want to kill you because you've been killing so many people. Yeah. Also, you're like the last of your kind. So like we kind of want to see you dead. Yeah. And he's like, ah, okay. (laughs) And she gives him some pills. Yeah, to kind of like make the whole thing easier on him. Yeah. But this kind of goes back to like the confusion about the living vampires versus the dead ones. Yes. Because... These ones that were living are the new society people. Yeah. And they're hunting the the dead vampires, like the vampire vampires. Yeah. Which I guess confirms that... The zombie vampires. The zombie vampires, which I guess confirms that Ben Cortman was a zombie vampire. Because they killed him. Yeah, because they killed him. But, like, he could talk, which I wasn't really sure the dead vampires could do. I don't think so. And and there's a couple times where, like... uh, uh, Neville kind of, like, describes these new races as people, basically. Yeah. Like, they have this condition, but they're living with it. And he's like, you're all people, and I'm people, like, you know, kind yeah. of saying, like, we're Why not. Why can't we all live in peace? I know I've killed, like, but I've killed hundreds a lot of, of you. you <laughs> but, I mean, come on. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, like, at this point, it was, like, a little frustrating because I was like, ah, man, I really wish I understood this a little bit better. Yes, but I love the concept of this type of pandemic happening and the answer is not the cure the answer is to accept it yes that these are the new people yeah and that like mutation is the answer and evolution is the answer and like this is what society will be like in the future and robert takes these pills and dies but not before he kind of like looks out on the faces of this new civilization and I really want to read the last like few lines of the book because it's so interesting. I really liked it. Okay, so he took the pills. Robert Neville looked out over the new people of the earth. He knew he did not belong to them. He knew that, like the vampires, he was anathema to anathema and black terror to be destroyed. And abruptly the concept came, amusing to him even in his pain. He turned and leaned against the wall while he swallowed the pills. 
Full circle, he thought, while the final lethargy crept into his limbs. Full circle. A new terror born in death. A new superstition entering the unsaleable fortress of forever. I am legend. Yeah. So he's basically saying, he's, it's come full circle. Now I am the vampire to these people. Mm-hmm. Like, I am the legend that they fear because I killed them. And I'm like this horrible thing that yeah. is so different from them. And I love that. It's a really good, interesting ending that makes you think. And it's not surprising because reading about Richard Matheson, he wrote a lot for uh, Twilight Zone. Mm. And this is very much a Twilight Zone kind of twist ending. Yeah. Where he's now he's like the, the monster. Villain. Yeah. yeah, he's the villain. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed that a lot, especially just the the questioning of is what he was doing this whole time, like just murdering. Yeah. Things. Right. Was that right? Yeah. Yeah. This is very uh, morally ambiguous and interesting for a, a book written in the 50s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I don't you just don't expect fiction like this to be so gray. No. And yeah. to flip like this where you're like, oh, wait, you know, it was very like it was a twist ending for me that I really liked. In science fiction, a lot of times from this era is like it's taking this like moral stance yeah. and saying like this is good like fasci- fascism is bad or like yeah. communism is bad or like this idea and this was just like it just posed a lot of interesting questions and then just kind of let it lie yeah and, and I it love also that. Robert also like questions a new society before he dies he asks Ruth he's like it seemed like they liked killing the like dead zombie mm-hmm. vampires like this is a lot of violence like how do you know this new society is gonna be like good and it's like well we don't know you know there is yeah. a lot of like we don't know what this new society will be like but it's kind of what else are we going to do, essentially? Yeah. Yeah. So it was a really interesting way to bring the title into the story yeah. in a way that probably flipped it on its head from what you thought it was going to be. Instead of him being like, I am a legend. I'm amazing. Because I'm like, so cool and I yeah. cured the disease. It's like, I am legend because I'm the new horror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Speaking of... Uh, lame interpretations of the title. (laughs) Let's talk about the movie. Let's go to the movie. Around this time after his dog dies, Will Smith decides that he is going to go out with a bang, Uh, just run (laughs) over a lot of the vamp zombie dark seekers and like let them kill him kind of. Pretty much. And during his kind of crazy stunt, he gets saved from a mysterious person mm-hmm. who ends up being Anna. Yes. And, and she has a young boy with her named Ethan. Mm-hmm. And they are both survivors of the virus. They're immune. Um, and Will Smith, Robert, is like very like stunned by this because he just has never believed that anyone could be alive. Um, and Anna also brings news that she and Ethan are headed up to Vermont where there's a rumored survivor's colony. Spoiler alert, the rumor came from God. Because <laughs> she talks to God. Yeah, she legit says that. What a weird, out of left field thing to throw into this story. Yeah. Because she ends up being right. Right. Sorry to jump ahead, but like. Yeah. So. And then there are like other biblical references where. Will Will Smith and his family before they're murdered in the helicopter like pray together, and then mm. um, there's a scene too at the end where he says like 
I'm listening, implying that he's listening to God. Um, yeah. So there's just like a biblical tone to it. And then the theatrical ending when he sacrifices himself as well, it's very like Jesus savior moment. Yeah, which is interesting because isn't Will Smith a Scientologist? I think so. Yeah. So I, I, mean, I don't know how like counter those yeah. things are. but it I is. mean, it could have been like the script or the director, sure, you sure. know. Um, but the religious aspect to it is very odd considering the source material is very devoid of religion. Absolutely. But essentially Will Smith meets them. Ethan, I'm sorry, but what a waste of space. Yeah. He doesn't do anything. This kid does nothing. He says nothing. He watches Shrek. That's it. And that's all there is. All there is to his character. And there's not much to Anna either. No. Other than she talks to God. Yep. And it's really frustrating because we hardly get any time with them no. as characters. And then it's like over. Yeah. And not to mention another problem I had is that like there is no intentional choice going into the third act for Robert's character. No. Like she shows up. She's like, oh, there's God. He's like, no, there's no God. Yeah. And then they get attacked. And then they just kind of get forced into the rest of the scenes together. Yeah. Like never does Robert make like a choice to kind of like, like, except for the very ending his choice, final his choice. final choice. Yeah. But that's kind of not anything leading into the third act. And it just kind of feels like when you think about it, like what, what kind of character growth was there from him? I guess other than that, like very ending moment. Yeah. But then again, it's like, what else was he going to do other than? So anyway, I'm sorry. We're kind of like, <laughs> we're kind of all we're over in the, the place right now. They, they get attacked mm-hmm. by a bunch of uh, vamp dark seekers. Yeah. And this was actually a pretty good scene, I thought. He he kind of has like this like whole preparation set with cars wired to explode outside of his house. Yeah. And then they still get in. And it's kind of a whole action scene. There's just like some interesting elements to it that are pretty good from an action standpoint in my mind. I'll, although I will say, how has he survived this long if they are able to do this so quickly? Well, they just didn't know where he lived. Yeah. But like, how is he, how have they not been able to find him? Well, yeah, that does raise a question because. Can they not smell? Well, so he was spraying stuff outside of his house when he walked in. It looked like some kind of like fluid or bleach. So I think he was trying to like cover his scent. Okay. But it is implied, which we'll get into this later, that they were watching him. Yeah. So it's like, could they not have followed him somehow or like spied on him to find out where he lived? I don't know. But anyway, they attack the house. They all get down to the basement. Yeah. Lock themselves into the lab where they realize, and this is the theatrical version we're into. We will talk about the alternate version, Mm -hmm. the alternate ending. In the theatrical ending, he realizes that the cure he tried on that woman did actually cure her. Yeah. And she's like a human again. Or a weird CGI human. Yeah. <laughs> let's be clear. <laughs> yeah, let's be specific. She is not actually even there. No. And the alpha guy is attacking this like glass partition that they're all holed up in. They have nowhere to go. And basically, Robert is like, I know what I have to do. I have to do... I have to use two things that have not been established this entire story. No. I have to put you two in a hole. That we don't know about. And also, I'm going to pull a grenade out of this desk drawer. He's like, there's like syringes in here and some notepads. Also a grenade. Also a fucking grenade. (laughs) So before that, he pulls a vial of the woman's blood who's cured. Yeah. And gives it to Anna. And is like, 
stay in this hole while I blow myself up and then just hope that it's fine to come out at some point. Yeah. (laughs) And And then take this blood to the survivor's colony. Also, I'm just going to blow myself up with this woman who is clearly cured and like not dead. Murder her. I'm just going to murder her (laughs) while I'm at it. Yeah. And then he does. Yeah. And then it shows Anna and Ethan driving to Vermont. And then there's this huge walled colony (sighs) that is like where people are now. There's lots of like trees. It's fall. It's Vermont. Yes, we get it. There's American flags. And I'm like, America doesn't exist anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then it's like voiceover. Her being like, Robert Neville found the cure and he saved us all. La, la, la. The end. And this is where we get the he was a legend line. And I'm like, uh, it's so cheesy and like totally expected and <laughs> yeah, annoying. Yeah. But let's talk about the alternate version. Yes. The, which was actually the original ending mm-hmm. that they changed. But because, test audience hated it. Yeah. Test audiences deemed it unworthy to live. Yeah. So everything pretty much happens as it did where... They are locked in this room mm-hmm. in the basement from the vamp attack. And but instead of the woman being cured, I think she's still sick. Yeah, it's a little I've read different things, whether she's cured or not. Yeah, it seems like she's not cured. And there's it's a little unclear in one version, at least it's he, he's attacking the alpha's attacking the partition and it clack it cracks into a butterfly shape. Yeah, like it did in the theatrical cut in another version uh, he actually makes an intentional butterfly symbol on the glass. Yeah. And Robert looks at the woman and sees a butterfly tattoo and he realizes they're there for her. Yeah. They want her back. And that makes sense because we clearly have established that this alpha dark seeker is like angry at him for some reason. Mm-hmm. And then so he kind of realizes that maybe that they have sentience and maybe they're at least intelligent enough to have connections to each other and these two seem to be mates and then we get this kind of realization that he has that they might be intelligent and maybe like all these experiments he's been doing on these dark seekers has been murder and he has a whole wall of their pictures i call it his murder wall um (laughs) where he looks at it and he's kind of like what have i done Yeah, after he gives the woman back to Alpha and she's Mm -hmm. alive, they just leave and leave them all. Yeah. And so, and the fact they spare him says something about, like, their humanity, too. Mm -hmm. And like you said, we get that shot of him looking at that wall, which does a good job of just establishing his, like, reconsidering everything. Mm -hmm. And then I think in that version, he just goes with Anna and Ethan and they just kind of, like, drive off. Yeah. Which made me wonder, didn't they like totally quarantine the island and blow up all the bridges? Yeah, I don't know how they're getting out. How did, or how did she get how did in? How did she get in? <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, that popped into my head. Yeah. But yeah, and this was, the most infuriating thing is this ending makes sense because them being sentient and intelligent was established even in the theatrical version. Yeah, When the they trap. set that trap up for him. Yeah, because it's an exact mimicry of the trap that he originally set and then he's caught in the same exact trap but in a different spot so clearly they're able to learn or at least copy what he did and in his video diary he was theorizing that their intelligence had totally like gone that they were just all primitive instinct at this point Mm -hmm. so like that set up and then when the trap is set and he's like what's going on yeah and then in the theatrical version there's no follow-up Yeah, yeah. No reason, no explanation, nothing interesting. Yeah. 
And I think since the movie came out, a lot of people are aware of the alternate ending. And I think the alternate ending is actually like a lot of people prefer that now. Yeah. Which I do too, Mm because at least it's kind of interesting and it's established in the rest of the story. Yeah. And it also is kind of like a callback to the book where these, you know, monsters might be evolving or might be capable of emotion and intelligence. Exactly. So, yeah, that's that's it. That's the ending. That is it. And let's talk about our favorite thing to talk about, (laughs) which is better, Adina. Which is better. I'll go first. Yes. I know I'm ahead of the game this time. (laughs) I'm going to say the book. I'm also going to say the book. I I thought it was uh, a really interesting, well-written story about like not only just like kind of a sci-fi like apocalyptic tale. Yeah. But also just like a man surviving on his own. And kind of dealing with isolation mm-hmm. and his day-to-day routines and kind of like him struggling with alcoholism and a lot of other things. And I just thought a lot of that content was very interesting. And I, I liked the book too. And I had some problems with the story. But honestly, the ending for me, like, saves the whole thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, it's not like I hated the whole thing. But just the originality and excitement and how cool that ending was i was like "Ooh, i love this yeah that made me really appreciate it and also in case you're thinking about reading this because you haven't yet this book is or it's a novella actually so Mm -hmm. it's only like 170 pages we all know that it's nice to have a quick read every so often yeah i appreciate it you appreciate it so i would definitely recommend checking out the novella um, because it's, I think it's worth it. Yeah. This book was like the perfect length for yeah. me, that story. Cause it was like, like, I don't think there was much more to gain mm-hmm. from it going on much longer I mean, than we, it did. We wish that some things were better explained. Sure. But, but I don't think that is attributed to like page count no. or like lack of page count. It was just like some things could have been phrased differently, I think. Yeah. So yeah, the movie... There are some interesting things about it. There are some good things. I think Will Smith does a really great job in this role. I think and he does too. And I do too. respect him a lot for the performance that he did, especially the beginning when it's just him mm-hmm. and the dog. Like, he does a good job. So I do want to give the movie props for that. Sure. Yeah, he, he carries the movie very well. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, they're just like... There's not enough payoff with certain things. And... The arrival of Anna and Ethan is just like so blah, like a non thing. Yeah. Like I don't care about. I don't care about them. With a very cliche ending. Yeah. We're given no time with those characters and yet we're supposed to care about her at the end, like getting away. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know. Like I cared way more, way more about Sam the dog yeah. than oh, I cared yeah. about even Ethan. Yeah. Like screw Ethan. No, I want I would, dog. I would sacrifice both of them to get Sam back in a I second. I know, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> it's the book for both of us. It is. Let's go into lightning round. Lightning round. So there's one part we didn't get to mention, uh, but there's a really great, exciting part in the book yeah. that I really loved where he's kind of out about running errands that day. And he keeps checking his watch and being like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. And he's like, wait, my watch isn't moving. I didn't wind it. And he (laughs) is like racing to get home before all the vampires circle his house like they always do every night. Yeah. And as he's driving home, like it's too late. They're all there. Yeah. So he like drives through them Uh and then gets them to chase him. As he's dri- as he drives around the block. Yeah. And he's like, all I can do is hope they're all following me. 
And then at one point, his car stalls out and they almost get him. Yeah. He gets back home and they like, uh, he gets out of his car and then he's like, I left my keys in the car to get in the door and he has to go back. And it's just a really, really well written, exciting scene that I like really enjoy. I just love the concept of leading them on a chase around the block. Yeah. So he can get back there first and like get back in the house. Yeah. It was like, it was like funny because it's like, it's kind of dumb of them, but also like it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Um, just want to mention in the movie, there's a kind of like cheesy scene where, um, Robert is talking to Anna and he's playing music and the whole movie he plays like Bob Marley a lot Mm because his daughter's name is Marley who died and, um, (laughs) (laughs) she's dead. Um, and, oh, actually that was his real daughter. Yeah. In real life. Yeah. So that's kind of a fun fact. She's alive in real life. (laughs) Dead in the movie. It's Willow. So... He's talking to Anna and she's like, who's Bob Marley? And he's like, you don't know who Bob Marley is. And it kind of goes on this monologue. And we're about, like, you don't know who Bob Marley is? Yeah, it was, I feel like that was the clearest sign that she was actually a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> she didn't know who Bob Marley was. Or just like really crazy, like yeah. super religious crazy, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then we get like a little like kind of meaningful, slightly cheesy whole Bob Marley explanation that I kind of like, but also did seem a little... Over the top. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had, So I was like reading through IMDb facts and there weren't like a ton about this movie. But something I noticed while reading these is there were a ton of facts about the dog <laughs> and like its care yeah. in the movie, like all the trainers that were around and everything they did for the dog's comfort. Probably because people stuff. were worried about him strangling the dog in that one scene. But it's stuff that, like, <laughs> is it even related to that? And, like, the the pinnacle of them that I loved is, um, when Neville gives Sam a bath, the dog was accustomed to getting baths, and the water was comfortably warm. The shampoo was no tears formula, and a traction mat lined the bottom of the tub. The dog was given treats and was thoroughly rinsed and dried between takes. <laughs> I'm glad to know that. I know. I'm, I am reassured knowing that the dog survived getting a bath in the movie. <laughs> and not the scene where it was strangled. Yeah. There were like, death. There were like 20 facts though about just like random scenes. Like when he's like on the wing of the uh, aircraft. Oh, yeah. About like he was on a traction mat and there were like three trainers below him. <laughs> and like they were giving him cues to stay. <laughs> it was like really funny. Very actually. specific. Yes. <laughs> There is just a random bit of information in the book where we find out that Robert in his like time as a soldier, like just got a giant cross tattoo on his chest. Yeah. Like he just was like, yep, tattoo across like right, right here. And it conveniently repels vampires for him whenever he needs I it. I guess. He, he just like, like doesn't use it very often. He just like rips his shirt He's off. like, ah. <laughs> and then also when he was like in the military and in Panama, he gets bitten by a bat and he theorizes later that it was carrying the vampire germ and that it kind of like immunized him to the disease for all of his like scientific research that is like the flimsiest like, I know. reasoning like, what bat yeah <laughs> where was it from what was it doing like, why was that bat a vampire why, why was that vampire bat carrying the vampire gene yeah i yeah it was like super like i don't know maybe okay. this is okay. why <laughs> <laughs> like i don't think you needed a reason yeah but 
That's it for lightning round. Mm-hmm. We, apolo- episode. we apologize if you heard any thumping around a, a neighbor's moving in upstairs. Yeah. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for listening to this episode. We really enjoyed getting to talk about this classic book and its most recent adaptation. Mm-hmm. If you want to tweet at us about it, we are at cover two credits with the number two on Twitter mm-hmm. and cover to credits pod at gmail.com. If you want to send us an email. Yep. We're on Facebook and on Instagram and we're also on Patreon. So if you'd like to support us, um, head on over to Patreon and um, you can become one of our patrons. We love everyone who supports us, whether that is on Patreon or whether you're just listening and are reaching out. Um, we appreciate any comments you have, um, any feedback or suggestions that you might have for the future. Like I said, this is um, an episode that was um, requested mm-hmm. by one of our listeners, Deanna. And so please feel free to suggest other episodes in the future. Absolutely. And that about wraps it up for this episode. Yep. We will see you next episode. See you next time. Bye. Bye.